Uh, we're going to be in another book. Um, and it's not going to be a New Testament book. It's actually going to be a Tanakh book or a Navichim book. One of the prophets. Um, Prophet Micah. Prophet Micah. Uh, we're, we're, going to, we're going to sit and just soak in big boy Micah. Even though they call him a minor prophet, I hate that they call the smaller books minor. Uh, because um, ain't nothing minor about them if you've ever studied them. Um, them jokers are a beast to interpret. Um, a monstrosity of sorts. And so you have to put on your whole hermeneutical arsenal when you dive into these castles. Somebody said, hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is just this art science of studying the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I had a good time in this, um, always trying to focus it devotionally and, and everything. And this is kind of what's, what, what we're going to dive into, kind of reminds us of, of, of how God uses things in people's lives. This, this thing reminds me of how different seasons of America, um, even during uh, some very dark times of American history, uh, pre-slavery, post-slavery, uh, pre-civil rights, that people wrote songs to kind of deal with and cope with the reality of their situation. Many of the things that they did, is especially the Christian ones, that's why, that's, that's why it's, so, it's so beautiful to see even God work providentially meaning his unseen hand, even though he's implicitly active, but can't be explicitly seen sometimes. That's what providence means. And, and, and seeing over that time people writing things to encourage people while going through a dark time to look at God, continue to look to Jesus, and not allow the situation to make you feel like this is not a part of your journey. That this is not a part of what God is using to shape and point to him in human history. And so here in the, in the prophet Micah, we see a prophet, a, a Judean prophet, prophet of Judah. One of, well, I love the prophets of Judah. I ain't mad at the prophets of Israel. But the, but, the, but the prophets of Judah, they just got to me. They always get to me. Luddy's cats. And, 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 and one of the things you see about Micah is he's encouraging God's people during a very dark time. This your man Micah prophesied between uh, about 733 B.C. and 701 B.C. I was about to say 80. I was like, damn, that's a long time, right? That's a G. But a um, thousand years, nobody was living like that for centuries. But what's beautiful about this prophet is he gets to really, you, you get to see a real prophet in action. You know, he's not a one-sided prophet. He'll rebuke you, talk crazy to you, um, then the next minute, he'll give you hope and encouragement. That's a real prophet. A real prophet is a prophet that can tell you what's wrong with you and then tell you who can solve what's wrong with you. And the, Now, what's right about the minor prophets is, you know, they call them minor prophets, but most of them, they, they, they really were real prophets because they didn't care what people said. They didn't care what you thought. That's how you knew they were a real prophet. They, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't care if you stood up when they were prophesying, and, and they didn't jump and do none of that. They just came in and said what God said and just let the, let the ducks fall where they met. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's what I love about the prophets. But throughout, so from, from Genesis to Exodus to, to all of the different books, types and shadows all the way to Malachi, that there is a sneak preview that is continuing to happen. And this sneak preview is of a person that God, uh, Yahweh, once pointed to throughout the corpus of scripture, which we call redemptive history. Say redemptive history. God is showing that he's not finished with what he allows to happen 
and he continues to work um, uh, outwardly and, 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 and even in an implicit way throughout all of these passages. So we come to Micah, who's prophesying during the reign of about three kings, the latter part of Jotham's reign. Um, he's prophesying, of course, through probably the whole of, uh, of Ahaz's reign. And then he prophesies probably in the first portion uh, of, of, of Hezekiah's reign. And so we come to this text and we see some, some beautiful things. That I, I want to read it, but then I want to help you to kind of grab a hold of a prophet. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Micah 5, verses 1 through 5. Micah 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod that they smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, uh, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. I'd like for us to talk about for a little while, hope for the ages. Um, um, hope, hope for the ages. One of the things that you'll see throughout prophetic literature is you'll see a very dismal outlook. Usually, whenever a prophet had to talk, something was wrong. I mean, every time a if you saw a prophet, you was like, oh my God, what's about to, what's about to go down? Usually when a prophet wrote or he came to you, something was wrong. And, and, but, but in the midst of something being wrong, he would always come to talk about how God wants to make things right. And, and usually a prophet is calling for repentance and restoration and reconciliation. But it, it can only come through repentance and commitment back to faith in the living God. And so in these literatures, this is a different literature. That's why most people don't, don't usually go into these because these joints are a beast to interpret. They are. Um, but what's beautiful about them is God hasn't left us without the ability to interpret them. Now, there are three types of prophecy. I want to have a little bit of class right now. Just so that we can kind of be on the same page in how we approach it so we're not eisegeting, but we're exegeting for understanding, development, and practice of God's word. Amen? So, there are three types of prophecies. There's, there's near prophecy. Say near prophecy. Near prophecy is when a prophet would prophesy and there's something, and he's prophesying about something that's pretty close to him within about a hundred year period or less. That's a near prophecy, right? Um, and, um, however, there's also um, what we call far prophecy. Say far prophecy. Far prophecy is when, when, the, when, when the prophet, and most prophets did not know when anything was going to come to pass. They just got what they heard from God and they just wrote the stuff down, right? So, so far prophecy is when what's being said far stretches and far reaches and far spans the time in which the prophet chopped it up with God's people. 
Now, one of the prophets that's a contemporary of Micah, that's probably the staple far prophet, is probably your man Isaiah. He's probably the, he spanned thousands of year time period in the way he prophesied, right? But then also, then also, then also you have dual prophecy. Say dual prophecy. Dual prophecy is what I call napalm. Napalm, my daddy used to tell me about napalm. My father was in World War II. So he said when he was infantry, he was a buffalo soldier, you know what I'm saying? So when, when the bombers, when the J Japanese came to bomb, they, they, you, know, you know, they would come and then the Americans would come and our B1s and we come through and the bomb would just drop. He said they would look like suitcases coming out of and they would just be lined up like this. And when they would hit the ground, he on the ground, I can't imagine being like on the ground while that's happening, right? Uh, you know, I heard a cherry bomb go off, but it, you know, cherry bomb ash, oh, just ash cans, y'all don't know about that? Okay, I forgot. All right. Different generation. All right. Uh, but anyway, they would hit the ground, and when it would, one would hit, a piece would come off, and another piece would explode. Then a piece would come off of that, and another piece would explode. Then a piece, napalm is bomb that keeps going, that has pieces of it that isn't finished exploding yet. That's what dual prophecy is. Dualistic prophecy is when God prophesies something through the prophet, it may have near its significance, it may have far significance, but then it may have eschatological or last time significance. Y'all still with me? And so, and so what happens is, is as we look at these understandings of the prophets, we must look at the beauty and glory and the power of God's word to be able to, to span time periods. Now the most powerful prophets, see, uh, in the Bible are the ones that are very messianically specific. What do I mean by that? The coming of Messiah. There's something called messianic prophecy. Say messianic prophecy. Now, everything in the Bible speaks of Jesus, but everything is not explicit. Some is implicit. Now, the ones that are explicit is called messianic prophecy. Y'all still dragging with me? Okay, so this messianic prophecy, right, would be something specific that is spoken through the prophet about the specific person of Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. And so here we come to which uh, most scholars disagree about most messianic. Man, you have Hebrew professors in seminary saying there's really no real messianic passage in the Old Testament except for Malachi, which is heresy to me, but that's a whole other subject. But, but, but this, they would say this is the only real specific messianic prophecy of Nabihim, which means prophets, or Tanakh, which we would call Old Testament. So we come here to your man, uh, your man uh, Micah, and his prophecy is distinctive. Has several distinctives. Number one, um, one of his distinctives that he emphasizes is the sovereignty of God. <laughs> sovereignty of God, that word is nothing new. One of the things that he emphasizes, we're just building a foundation. Um, he emphasizes the sovereignty of God. In other words, God's activity in everything, but not his activity in everything, his, his ability to be over everything. So that means that nothing in creation and beyond is beyond the reaching limits of the mind of God, the heart of God, or the hand of God. See, that's good understanding of sovereignty right there. But then it goes from sovereignty to God's self-consistency. In other words, no matter what ages are like, God is faithful to his people. No matter what your situation is like, God is faithful. As jacked up and ripped up and as torn up as God's people have been, is, and will be without Jesus, even God is showing God is always faithful and consistent. But then it also talks about his leadership of all events and his people towards the ultimate plans and purposes for him. In other words, with his sovereignty and with his consistency, 
He's working something out. Always cooking something. God is an eternal scientist. He, and his laboratory is planet Earth. But he's not testing anything out to see if something will happen. He's sovereign, so he makes stuff happen. That's the difference between God. But, 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 then, but then he also snuggled in the middle. I love the restoration passages of the prophets. The restoration passages are written in the midst of a crash course in Yahwehistic judgment to say, yo, God ain't finished with you. And so this is a picture of what it's going to look like when God finally comes through Messiah and transform everything from the inside out. Y'all check it with me. So now we talk about the message of Micah. Which, of course, he's, he's prophesying in the midst of the Assyrian destruction of Israel in general. Israel, them kings were wild. Y'all got to understand. The kings of Israel were some wild, wild dudes, right? Now you got, now you got, the, now you got the prophets of Judah, and what he's doing is he's telling, um, he's telling the, the, um, the, the people of Judah, listen, look at Israel. Look how they're wild. Is it turning out okay? Y'all want to be like them. Look at them. Wow, see, see how God, wow, ooh, that's the, man. See, do you want that to happen to you? And so people in Israel said, we see it, but then what they kept doing is they kept looking up to their big brother Israel to want to be like Israel. But Micah, Isaiah, and other prophets are trying to get them to say, listen, learn from their mistakes and follow God, but don't just be fearful of the consequences of their mistakes. Be fearful of the one who causes wrath to come because of those mistakes. So everything is relational when it comes to God. God is not just some standoff, transcendent dude sitting on a throne with a long beard watching time go past. No, God is both transcendent and imminent. He's above everything, but he's intimately interwoven and active in everything. All right? So now, so, 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 so this reminds me of when, when I was coming up in no drug dealers, but I, you know, I, I was around a bunch of thugs. Had great friends, but I really wasn't one. I was, a, you know, I kind of wanted to be one, you know. But I kept seeing cats get shot. So I said, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Um, I saw um, dudes um, um, on PCP um, just go crazy and take off everything. You know, just run down the street. I was like, probably not going to be on those drugs, those drugs right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, in other words, I began to watch. I said, you know, this is unredeemed E. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, I watched you get shot. I watched you have to pay child support at 14 years old. And you, I mean, you ain't get to go to nothing. You know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not mad. I'm not downing you. But I'm just like, man, I, I was scared of everything because of what I saw. But I was scared of consequences, but I didn't fear God. So the issue is, we don't fear consequences, we fear the Lord. So the prophet's job is to point people back to a commitment and reverence for the living God. Here go we here, to the message of Micah, which brings us to our first point. Our first point is basically real, real, real simple. The failures of the past. The failures of the past. When you look in chapter 5, verse 1, it says... Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Sieges is laid against us. With a rod they smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. This is an interesting, uh, an interesting layout of the passage because basically he's warning Judah. He says, I want you to get ready for war because something is about to happen. And, 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 and whether you like it or not, you're going to go through a very, very difficult season. And, and he said, you are, because you're not going to repent, you are going to go through a similar season 
as Israel. Now prior to this, he talks about the Assyrians' work towards Israel. Post the section we're going through, I just don't have time for it, verses 5 through the rest of the chapter, you will see the interaction of, the, uh, of him still warning them about the impact of the Assyrian work on God's people um, towards Israel. And so he warns them, but gives them a glimmer of hope and a picture in the midst of that. Now, when it says, with a, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now, the judge of Israel points to specifically Zedekiah in 2 uh, 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 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. Now, I don't have time to read that, but what happens in that passage is, is Judah finally goes into Babylonian captivity. Now, Zedekiah been listening to some false prophets, right? And if you go back to Jeremiah 23 and read it, um, the, the, the Bible says that there were some false prophets in Judah telling the king that everything was going to be alright, that their season was coming. You know what I'm saying? Your, your season's about to come dark and, and God is about to mix it up. And, and Zedekiah going all like this and carrying on, he all excited. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, and prophets say, man, I'm telling you, your cherry going to have gold on the side of it. You know what I'm saying? People going to bring black diamonds to you. He said, he said go ahead, doc. Preach that thing to me. There's like hundreds of them in front of him preaching. And Jeremiah in the cut, like, like, and then he starts writing and saying, they just switching sermons. That's what he said. They just saying what the other one says. But have they not, has any of them heard a word from the Lord? And so what happens is, is that God, God tells, tells Jeremiah to tell them, submit yourself to God's discipline. And he's going to take you into captivity. And if you don't, it's going to be real bad for you. Because the, God's going to up the whooping if you don't just, I wish my son would. Listen, if I'm giving him a spanking, and he, and he you know, and he try to jerk back, oh, it's, it's, it's death. I mean, I mean, my son, my son, if he takes off running, he know, he, he just don't do it. So I'm just saying, you know, it's going to up the game of the whooping. Now, I know some of y'all don't believe in beatings, but I'm submitting to the living God who beats people. Okay? And so if God beats people, and I'm, supposed to, I'm in this image, and I'm a child, I reflect the God of heaven. Uh, he's a good father. I'm going to be a good father and tear my son's butt up. Amen. And so, so, so if you're mad about God getting the whooping, getting a relationship with him, and you're going to be mad anyway, because he's going to whoop you. Because you're going to mess up, and he's going to spank you. But it's all in love. Right? And so Jeremiah, so Jeremiah, Jeremiah, like, y'all can talk all that talk, y'all. So he gets thrashed. He gets buried in doo-doo up to his neck, you know, just getting, just getting trashed. You know, I mean, and the other prophets living fat until Nebuchadnezzar come in the building. Then all of a sudden, everything changes. And there's a siege on, the, on, on Jerusalem for 11 years. And what happens at the end of that chapter is God has Nebuchadnezzar line up all of Zedekiah's sons. He said, if you come out, I'll just bring you in, take care of you, boom. He's saying, seek the peace. God is telling Jeremiah, tell him, seek the peace of the city. Go in there. You know, do your thing. Like, continue to covenant, but just submit to the set. He said, I ain't doing it. God ain't say that. All right. He said, okay. So he lines up his sons, kills all of them in front of them. Then gorges his eyes out. Now, the idea of slapping the judge of Israel is talking about the king of Israel. Slapping a king by, by, by any standards is probably the most, the punk movist move of moves to really put, like, make you look like a, like, 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 it's like somebody, you know how they used to do in the old cartoon, he'd take off his glove, and he said, like, slap the, you know, you know, it was that type of joke, you know what I'm saying? It was really, 
funny. And illegal, one time an illegal session was going on one night. And they said, simply tell us whether or not you're the son of God. And he told them, I'm not going to ask you. Then the high priest servant backhanded him. Slapped the king, the judge of Israel, right in his face to humiliate him in front of everybody for claiming that he was a king. But then during his period, he's prophesying during a dim period because you had Jotham. Jotham was considered a righteous king in the eyes of the Lord, but he failed to cleanse the temple of its pagan influences. So there you go. You got God's people wilding out. Then you had Ahaz. Ahaz, Ahaz, Ahaz. Now see, I don't know. See, let me see if I can make that. See, if you ever read through the Kings, I like all the stories, but it's something reading about the inventory of their reign. And it'll say, and so and so did right in the eyes of the Lord, except for the high places were not taken down. And so and so so did uh, did uh, walk with the Lord with all of his heart. You get the Ahaz. It says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not walk in any of God's laws. Didn't love him. Didn't like him. Didn't spend time with him. I mean, Ahaz is like the dude that you know how some dude like, I wish I was president. You know what I'm saying? If I was president, the White House would be jumping. You know, that's the you know, and he gonna have weed in the Oval Office. You know what I'm saying? And and, and and have disco ball in the middle, you know, because and he's not gonna run the country, he's just gonna have fun with the authority. That's what Ahaz is. Ahaz is the wrong dude to be an authority. He's the worst type dude on the planet, right? He becomes king, Israel goes to the dumps, they get their behinds whooped by Philistines, uh, all types of cats coming in, wrecking shot, and he still doesn't repent of his wickedness. Then you got Hezzy coming in, big Hezzy comes in. He's, he's such, he's such a, 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 a contour and, 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 um, and time-changing prophet that Isaiah, as he's going from chapter 1 to chapter 30-something, he stops and gives time before he goes into the messianic prophecies. He talks about this dude, Hezekiah. And he talks about Hezekiah tearing down the stronghold, finding the word of God, bringing all of these reforms to Israel, bringing all of this work. And the Bible says... And, and others say, and even he developed a reputation for being the king that brought the most reformed theology to God's king. Yeah. In other words, he brought the most reformed to restoring back Yahwehistic worship to other people, even though his daddy was wilding out. Yeah. However, one day, you know, he was, you know, he got healed. He felt real good about himself. You know what I'm saying? And so he had he had um, some HD cameras come into the king from Babylon. And what they did is he began showing them around everything. You know, gold pomegranates, everything. You know, everything looking fly and nice. He says, look at my dude holding it, gripping my cup. You know, going all like that. Dude bring his cup. He said, now, um, you know, he going all around looking and showing them his bedroom and the treasury and everything. And he flossing. Dude holding his train like he a wedding, a wife, you know what I'm saying? Just walking around, just doing his thing, enjoying. Sipping and get somebody to wipe his mouth and showing him everything. After it was all over, prophet came in and said, what's good, big man? See, you, know, like, you know, when the prophet comes see you, just, you know, you ain't seeking him, but the prophet just come see you, right? Prophet came and seen him. So he said, um, who was them dudes that came through? He said, oh, I'm some cats from Babylon. I'm telling you, man, some dude just come in to see what God's up to. What you showing him? I show him everything in my kingdom. He's like, okay. Those same dudes that came are going to come back. They're going to destroy everything. He said, but it's not going to happen during your time period. He says, 
I thought that was going to happen during my time, man. Wow. Man, forget about what happened to somebody else. I'm glad that I'm good. So you got one king. He institute, he worships God, but then he also has idols. Then you got one that doesn't care. Then you got one that brought reform, but it was external reform, not internal transformation of God's people. So then you get your man Micah prophesying in lieu of all of these kings and, and all of these kings and their role. And then we have Messiah. This brings me to my last point. Messiah will bring reform to all things. Messiah will bring reform to all things. I want to simply, I, I, some of this is going to be elementary for you, but, 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 but I just want to remind you and I of who it was who came, who was prophesied to come, and who's coming again. And, 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 and not just the accuracy. I, you know, I hate when people go through messianic prophecy, oh, he did this, and, and, and talking about the accuracy of it, that's beautiful. But you can, you can show someone the accuracy of the prophecy without showing them the person of the prophecy. And so I want us to look at the person that this talks about. It, 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 says, it says in verse 3, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is ruler of Israel. I like this because Judah was also, of course, a promise that Messiah was going to come through him. But what's interesting, you would think that it would come, that, that he would be born in Jerusalem. You think he would be born in a highly populated area. You think he'd be born in the metropolis of the kingdom. You think he would, he would be born in the place that would get the most shine for the city. But what's interesting is God chose the most shineless place on the planet for Jesus to be born. And he chose Bethlehem, a little, a little hick town. Well, people sit on the front porch and chew chewing gum real slow. And cars don't come through very often to get gas. Right? And they still got the gas to go that place. And the windows are dirty. And there's tumbleweed everywhere. And the hotel has one level right here. And the office is right here. Then he tosses you the key over the counter. And you grab it. And you go to your room. And it's only $25 a night. Roaches, rats. That's what Jesus was born. God loves to choose lesser things to get more shine. See, he doesn't like shiny things unless he's shining through the thing. See, many of us, we think God is going to work through the thing in our life that we're most strong in. God never works through your strength particularly. Even if he uses your strength, he makes you weak so you won't trust your strength. And see, see, what's powerful about God is he loves to dumb down external stuff so that the internal reality of what its function is supposed to be can be clearly seen so that nothing, no one, and no place gets the glory but him. That's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, because he didn't want anybody bragging, I found a Messiah. <laughs> And that's what God wants in all of our lives. This is a principle for the ages. Is that God is always choosing foolish ways to show himself off. 
Because he doesn't, when he does something big, and he loves to do big things. But big has to be big from his perspective, not your perspective. Because our view of big is different than his big. And so what God does is he loves in our life. Choose the weakest area of your life, and I guarantee you God will work through it. Choose the strongest area of your life, and I'm telling you, God won't work through it. He won't. He will not. 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 I had many ideas about my life that I didn't like God getting involved in. It's some things about my life that I'm saying, God, this is the way I want this whole thing to work out. And this is the way it's going to happen because I know this is a sure shot. I can see that happen. See, God, was God, God likes to do stuff in our life where we can't see it happening. So you can say, I don't know how God did that. But in some way, shape, or form, he did some old craziness out of nothing. Here come his glory and his work. And then guess what you do? When you testify about the work of God, what happens is, is you're so blown away by the work of God that you can't help but say it was him and give him the glory for it. That's what, that's what Messiah is all about. God did everything he could to take shine off a man. Everything. And he loves to do that. And so that's why he uses Bethlehem. He said, and you're the least among the clans of Judah. Like when God came to Gideon, God said, who am I and who is my clan that you should come to me and even use your boy? He wasn't even thinking about being used by God. He's hiding wheat under the wine press. So he's functionally dysfunctional. So he said, I'm dysfunctional, I'm hiding, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I've never fought before. But then he helps him to get an army of small groups of people. He cut off every, he said, see, y'all get too much glory if it's a thousand of y'all. Because yeah. y'all would be like, see, look at our number. Oh, oh, put your rose alone, you know, and then you go on out, you know what I'm saying? You know, you'd have been like that, right? But I said, you, you, you got too many for me to be glorified. My Lord. And so he shaved them off so that when they wanted to fight, by the Lord and the Lord alone did yes. he win. Right? And so then we go down. Again, God still works like this. Then we go, and it says this is where the ruler of Israel come from. It also points to the Davidic line also when we talk about Bethlehem. And it points us back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where it talks about, we're not going to turn there, but God promises David through the Davidic covenant, house, throne, kingdom. Eternal. All three of those. Why would you bring something eternal out of something so little and temporal? And that's how powerful it is. But then it, it says, and so it's pointing to the humanity of Lord Yahshua. But then he does something very, very interesting. That's interesting wording here that I've disagreed with several great thinkers about. And some of the other thinkers we think I like about this. It says, whose origin is of old. From ancient days. It points to something more than just an ancient lineage of kinship. Here it points to the deity of the one who's going to come. That God is going to be born. God is going to be born. And his, 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 his origin is of old, from ancient of days. Then it says, therefore he shall give them up. Until the time when she is in labor. Talking about Mary, of course. <laughs> and he shall stand. I like this. And he shall stand 
interesting dichotomy here. Stan points us to his majesty as king. Shepherd points us to his other role. Messiah was to have, and this is great, great obedience stuff for our life. He was to have a really, he's going to walk in, 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 a, in a dual role as the ideal king. The ideal king, y'all, was to be both a king and a shepherd. Both a king and a shepherd. Now, of course, point you back to David, who was a shepherd before he became king, and therefore talked in shepherding lingo when he talked about leading God's people. However, it's not pointing back to David uh, 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 keenly. It's pointing forward to Jesus. Now, stand here means that he accepts his coronation as king. So he accepts and he allows God to crown him king. So he stands there and God puts his robe on uh, for him, right? Then you got here also um, shepherd. So he shall stand as shepherd. Now, now, this is a picture I want somebody to make for a t-shirt. This is the one. I want to see a linen outfit with some, with some, um, with some polo sandal boots that come up to the knee, you know, with a golden, golden bulletproof vest, a hoodie, or, you know, hood, draped over, and just flame coming out of the eyeballs, and then, then dreadlocks coming out of it, white dreadlocks, and then in the left hand, a sword. And in the right hand, a shepherd's hook. And then him standing as a door, and his, and his, his, his robe acts as the fence. Because Jesus says, I'm the door to the sheepfold. Then there's a bunch of sheep. We bad and looking all scared behind him like this. You know what I'm saying? Then, 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 then a wolf, like a werewolf looking thing, coming. You know what I'm saying? And one just jumping over the fence. He got a sheep in his mouth. And then he just goes, he's just, he grabbed the sheep with the hook. And then he cuts the wolf. Watch out! You know, cut it, though. Um, animation or something. That's good violence. That's good violence. Amen. See, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus ain't the dude, you know. Hello, to me, all you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. My yoke. That's not, that ain't the Jesus we talk about. We talk about the shepherd king. Who can both cut you and hook you? Yeah. <laughs> Who can both cut you? That, that's, this is the ruler with, this is the shepherd king. This is the first king that will actually care about the people and protect them at the same time and have the strength to discipline them and love them at the same time. The first one, there's never been a king like this ever before that is a beast. Yeah. On one hand, but can be meek and tender on the other hand. Yeah. See, most people just be Matthew, I'm meek and lowly at heart. But then they don't look at the fact that he's coming back as a flaming yeah. lion. Yeah. I was looking, man, I was looking at um, Chronicles of Narnia the other night. Yeah. And I, I, I've seen it a thousand times. Yeah. But man, when, 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 the, when the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve came for the first time to the village, and they all did like this, everybody did like that. Woo, I thought this. Going to the holies are holy right now. And then Ashley came out with a thing. You know what I'm saying? He came out looking around. Hi, I am Ashley. <laughs> I mean, they did artistically, they caught the spirit of Jesus Christ. They caught the way he can get over the white witch or the wicked witch or whatever she was and go, ha Then at the same time, he can tell the young, the girls, jump on my back. And they grab his fur and ride him. 
Do you hear what I'm talking about? That's Jesus Christ, y'all. The shepherd king who's both tender and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's being talked about here about Lord Yeshua. But listen to what he does. It says, and his flock. I like that, his flock. Stop right there. This is the first, don't, don't no other shepherd in the history of the Bible get to call God's people his. Listen, listen, listen. Everybody else, he says, they won't shepherd my sheep. Uh, 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 Ezekiel 34, right? Then you go um, to Jesus in uh, the last chapter of John, and he asks Peter a question. He says, shepherd my sheep. Yeah, yeah. So now this is the first time where the king will be both king and shepherd, and thirdly, owner. He will own the sheep. And his ownership won't be some type of entrepreneurial venture for his vision, but it will be for the care and protection and development of the people who's the flock. The flock also points to remnant. Say remnant. Remnant, remnant in the Hebrew means residue. Yeah. It, means, it means the last of what's left. But, 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 but the idea of this here doesn't mean weakness. A remnant here means those who have the strength that comes from trusting in the one that no one else will trust in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and these are the only ones left. Yeah. I was looking at one lexicon. That thing was rocking me about the understanding of flock here, about his flock and, and, and the remnant theology of, 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 of the entire book. Of, uh, of Micah, when you see remnant theology in verses 7 through 15, I don't have time to talk about it, but, but, but that idea of remnant points, this is the precursor to it, talking about the flock that he will actually shepherd, and that's the true community of people who believe in him. Yeah. And it won't be the majority. And so, this Lord will come and do a bunch of beautiful things to impact and develop God's people. Then it says, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That's the way he'll shepherd them. In the majesty of the name of the Lord God. So what motivates the shepherd king? God's majesty and God's name. God's majesty. What does that mean? Majesty means regal authority and power. So he's not a sucker. That's what it means in the Hebrew. He's not a sucker. Now, name means the Lord himself or his manifest character. So he'll not only have God's authority, because authority without character is brutality. But, but, but what's beautiful about God, servant, Lord Yahshua, is yeah. he's both God and he's both man, but he also is beautifully able to walk in the majesty of God through the name of God, bearing the marks of who God is. That's why God bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Lord Yahshua, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to who? The glory of God the Father. That's why he's given majesty and a name. But he'll do this in the name of the, of the majesty of the Lord. That's the way he'll shepherd. It'll be marked by authority. So if you hate authority, you're not going to like Jesus. If you hate character, you're really going to hate Jesus because he has the best one in eternity and time. <laughs> but then let's listen to what it says here, family. I just want you to think about this. This is, the, this is what his reign will look like, but then look at the impact of his reign in reforming everything. It says here, 
It says, and they shall dwell secure. You know, I, 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 I love this terminology. They shall dwell secure. It's interesting that it doesn't just say they'll be secure. But they'll be able to dwell. Dwell pointing to the be, the be able to chill out and to enjoy the one who's holding you and protecting you and securing you. Many of us look for security outside of Jesus. Many of us are trying to find security in so many other places. But the shepherd king will cause those who trust him to be able to dwell in security. I can tell you when I'm not dwelling securely is when I'm not spending. I had a rough little devotional week this week. It's my time. I got it. I'm going to do I got I don't know about y'all. I got to get in there with Jesus. I got to talk to him. I got to hear something from him in the Bible. If I, I'm just telling you, now some of y'all may say, I do it every week. God bless you for the tape of resonance you got. I got to get with Lord Yahshua daily, right? And I started, getting, you know, things, I started worrying about stuff. I'm like, what's wrong with me? All having all this anxiety and frustration. And then, and, 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 and then I just, in one of my times, I just really got it in with the Lord. Real nice life. And all of a sudden, my situation did not change. Yeah. But I was able to dwell in a different way in the situation because I'm not in the situation. Yeah. I'm in him. Yeah. And since I'm in him, I can dwell because I realized my security. So it made me sit my behind down and just sigh and say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of me. Thank you, Jesus, for shepherding my heart. See, some of y'all need to learn how to get with the shepherd because you live in your own strength. And, and when, you, when you learn to stop living in your own strength and to seek security in Jesus, you ain't going to find security in no relationship, no matter how cute they are, no matter how much money they got, and no matter how people they know. You're not going to find it in your job. You're not going to find it in your 401k. You're not going to find it. Those are good things, but those are not dwelling places of security. Right. He that dwells in the shelter of the Most High yeah. shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Yeah. So, 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 and, and I, like, I like the way the text says it. And we shall dwell under his pinions. Yeah. Pinions in the Hebrew means primary feathers. That means the feathers that are closest to you. Now, what's beautiful about God is even though he's covering us with his wings, um, what's beautiful about him is in him there's no shifting shadow. So to be under his wings is not to be in shade, but to be in his light. Right. And to dwell securely. Why? Because when something shoots at you, guess what the king does? He puts his wing up to make it block. And then the stuff that he lets hit you is for your good. Yeah. And just because something hits you doesn't mean you don't have security. God uses every God. God is like a redeemed Fred Sanders. <laughs> he is. Of stuff that he uses everything. I'm telling you, God uses everything. Everything. Everything for his glory. And I'm, I'm going to shut up. But the last thing that he does is it says, and, and he shall dwell, and, and when they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That means everybody will know the greatness of Jesus' name long-term future. But then guess what the final thing he does right here? It says, and he, and, and he shall be their peace. Yeah. Now, 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 come on now. I, I will jump over yeah. this. Listen, listen, he didn't say he's going to give you peace. 
He says, I will be peace. Peace is not some esoteric thing out there that makes you get warm fuzzies in your stomach. Peace is a person. The word there is shalom, which means comprehensive wholeness. That God in the life of his people wants to restitch everything back together towards his, not his original goal before Eden, but for an upgraded, more beautiful thing that he has planned for his people. And guess the way he does it? He only does it one way, through a bloody cross. He does it through Lord Yahshua coming. Everybody wants peace and everybody wants to be all secure, but you have to repent. That means you got to face your sin because he faced it. When you face your sin, what he does is he says, trust in me that he doesn't treat you according to your sin. He treats you according to the mercy of his son because his son took the hit for us. Therefore, we don't have to deal with what made peace because we didn't have to die for peace. Christ died in our place for peace. When we trust his work on the cross and believe that he became no, he he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That's where the dwelling security comes from. It doesn't just come from you and, and, and who you are. It comes specifically in a person, and it comes from Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dwelling security comes from the gospel. Yeah. And believing in the fact that God's wrath has been dealt with, and now the fact that Jesus is our peace. When he looks at us, God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And therefore, there is no reason to bring wrath. Because that's my son, and I already gave him that. And since I was, and, and, and I raised him from the dead, since I see the resurrected Jesus in you, yeah. then I won't bother you. Only I will spank you, though. <laughs> but I won't wrathfully deal with you. Do you know that none of us who know Jesus will ever experience God's way? So y'all are just chilling. You don't, you don't fall into the hands of the angry God anymore. Because of Jesus. And so when we think of Christmas, you know, I know we, we, we got all kinds of things that we celebrate, but this is the true meaning of Christmas. My favorite scene in any TV show or movie or cartoon is, is, uh, is, 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 is in Charlie Brown Christmas. Every time I see my wife look over to me to see what's going to happen. Um, every time Charlie Brown is doing all of these things to find out what the real meaning of Christmas is. He got the worst looking Christmas tree on the ground. He said, you're the worst, Charlie Brown. You, you don't ever do anything right, Charlie Brown. I mean, they light Charlie Brown up. I'm like, dang, man. I mean, nothing changed. They're like, Charlie Brown, you're stupid. Charlie, Charlie. They lighten him up, right? And then, and then Charlie Brown finally yells, can anyone tell me the true meaning? And then Lionel thrown like this, holding a blanket, <laughs> takes his thumb out of his mouth and says, Charlie Brown, I can tell you the true meaning of Christmas. Yeah. He walks out. <laughs> he stands in the middle. And he says, Lights, please. <laughs> and then he starts quoting Luke 2. Yeah. And he gets down. And I'm like, I, Y'all don't understand. When I wasn't saying, I've seen that a billion times. Yeah. But I never caught that. When I, took, when I I remember I first heard him, yeah. and when I said, "Is he gonna stop? Is he gonna go to verse 6? And he said, "The one who was born to you this day yeah. is my Savior, yeah. Christ, yeah. the Lord." 
lights come up and he says, Charlie Brown, that's the true meaning of Christmas. Yes. That's what it's about, y'all. Yes. The Savior, who yes. is Christ, the Lord. Yes. Will you worship him today? Yes. Will you commit your life to him today? Will you love him with everything you've got today? Father, we bless you. We bless you. Because you're worthy. We honor you for Jesus. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for wonderful Jesus. Who is Savior. Who is Christ. And who is Lord. May your name be great to the ends of the earth through your people. May you teach us how to dwell securely in you. May you teach us how to experience and walk in the shalom that you give. Only you can do it, God. <clears throat> you do that for us today as we celebrate you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you haven't trusted this great Savior, um, there's some cards on the back table out there. Why don't you fill that out? so we can connect with you and talk with you about the King of Kings who we talked about today. If you trust this message, trust the one who gives the message, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I make it come. During this time, we prepare our hearts and minds for communion. And um, because communion is a time for people who believe in Jesus Christ, who have trusted him, to be able to celebrate his death. We ask that if you don't know him, that you would just, you would allow to participate in everything else. But we'd ask that you would let um, these elements pass so that we, by God's grace, uh, those, those of us who really trust in him can be able to celebrate. But you're, you're, you're able to just listen and just partake by charity through that way. 